Hey listeners, welcome back to Shades of Crime. In 1997, a woman named Reva Barnett was traveling from New Jersey to Nova Scotia. Once she arrived in Nova Scotia, Reva began searching thrift shops throughout the province for one specific item, something with a morbid connection to her life in Nova Scotia. After searching for some time, Reva found what she was looking for, a half-meter pine box typically used in the early 1900s to carry dairy products and a box that to others might seem innocuous. But to Reva, this item served as a reminder that she is a survivor. That pine box now rests in Reva's closet so each day she can get up and see just how lucky she is. This is the story of the Butterbox Babies. So get ready, because things are about to get shady. Reva Barnett had a fairly normal life, with a loving family and a happy upbringing, but she always felt that some part of her was missing. So when Reva was told she was adopted, things made a bit more sense. But she knew that she had a good life, and she didn't think she needed to know where she came from. All that mattered was where she was now. About 20 years after Reva first discovered she was adopted, her interest in her origins grew, and she decided it was time for her to look further into her past, and what she discovered would change her life forever. Reva found that she was born in Chester, Nova Scotia, and in 1945, she was adopted from an establishment known as the Ideal Maternity Home. As Reva delved deeper into this, she learned that the Ideal Maternity Home had a notorious past. On her search, Reva found a page called The Survivors of the Ideal Maternity Home, a website intended to help children adopted from the home locate their birth families. Reva, now knowing about her origins, had some questions to ask her parents. When Reva inquired about her adoption, her parents explained that they had selected her out of quite a few children because she looked, quote, the most pathetic. And by pathetic, I think that they meant unwell. When they had selected Reva, they filled out adoption papers, and before the adoption was formalized, the couple took Reva to a pediatrician. This pediatrician took a thorough examination of Reva and explained to her parents that they needed to get Reva out of the home immediately. The couple finalized the adoption and took Reva back to their New Jersey home and tried to put the past behind them. With these huge discoveries, Reva was ready to find her birth parents. When Reva got into contact with the admin of the Ideal Maternity Home Survivors website, the woman informed Reva that she would attempt to locate her birth parents and let her know if they wanted to talk with Reva. Not too much later, Reva was informed that her birth mother had been found and she accepted correspondence. However, she requested that Reva didn't receive her name. Reva sent a letter to her birth mother and she received one back. In her first letter, Reva had written how she loved her birth mother, which startled the already apprehensive woman. Contact between the two was short-lived, but Reva finally knew a bit more about where she had come from. 
1997, Reva was informed that a survivor's memorial service was being held in Nova Scotia. This piqued her interest. She wanted to speak with more people who could relate to her past, and she wanted to learn more about what truly happened at the ideal maternity home. The truly horrifying details of the ideal maternity home showed Reva and other survivors just how lucky they are to be alive today. 26-year-old Leela Coolin met a 27-year-old unordained Seventh-day Adventist minister named William Young in Nova Scotia back in 1925. The two fell in love and married shortly thereafter. The two moved to Chicago for William to attend school for chiropractics. Prior to this, William had graduated from the Medical Evangelist College in 1923. In 1927, Leela graduated from the National School of Midwifery and Obstetrics, and in December of 1927, William had finished his degree in chiropractics. Following William's graduation, the two moved back to Nova Scotia with an intention to open their own sanitarium. Full of ambition, the two formally opened the Life and Health Sanitarium in Chester, Nova Scotia back in February of 1928. The sanitarium was operated out of a small cottage the two lived in and only had four bedrooms. The couple had very little funds to put into the business and quickly found themselves to be in over their heads. The only sustainable part of this business was when Leela aided in birthing and maternity care. This near failure wasn't enough to scare the two away from their business venture. It merely caused them to make a little tweak to their original design. Not even a year after its opening, the Life and Health Sanitarium was no more. In its place, the Youngs opened the Ideal Maternity Home. The Ideal Maternity Home printed its services in the paper and saw a rapid influx of patrons because they offered a service that wasn't found elsewhere. The Ideal Maternity Home boasted highly confidential and discreet maternity care for unwed expectant mothers. This business design offered a service to women who, at this time, could be socially destroyed for becoming pregnant out of wedlock. With the Ideal Maternity Home services, visitors were given fake identities during their stay at the home and the Youngs offered to adopt out the children born in the home. Therefore, the women at the home could simply say that they had taken a vacation if anyone were to ask about their disappearance from the public. The home services were seemingly noble, and certainly a nice solution to an ever-present issue in a society which shuns women for premarital sex. As I have talked about in other episodes, Nova Scotia has a large amount of people coming and going from the Halifax port. With numerous amounts of people coming through, the number of casual hookups tends to increase. This is also seen with the high number of sex workers in Halifax. So, many women could become pregnant and have the father gone and unreachable before she even finds out. Thus, the need for discreet maternity care is pretty significant in Nova Scotia, making the ideal maternity home a haven for these women. But ultimately, the Youngs viewed their venture as a business. Although they presented themselves as charitable people, they were anything but. Women in Nova Scotia at this time made around $8 a week. A couple who wanted to have their child at the home were charged an average of $70 for room and board up front. Then they were charged $12 for diapers and supplies, and $2 weekly for maintenance and upkeep. These fees were large, but the fees for unwed mothers were a true reflection of the greediness of the youngs. 
Since unwed mothers had a lot to lose, if people were to find out that they were pregnant, the Youngs charged them around $100 to $200 for room and board up front, as well as the other charges previously mentioned. Many unwed mothers weren't able to afford this fee up front, so they would be offered an alternative. They could work at the home during their stay to pay off their fees, as well as whatever money they could give up front. This meant that the Youngs never had to pay for workers in the home. That was until 1933. In the 1930s in Nova Scotia, child mortality rates during birth were about 3.1%, but the reported mortality rates at the ideal maternity home were about 8.1%. That is more than double the provincial average. When these numbers got out, the Minister of Health ordered that the ideal maternity home hire a registered nurse. And this nurse is one of the many sources we have to tell us what went on in the ideal maternity home. In 1936, the Youngs had their first formal run-in with the law. A woman named Eva Nyforth came into the ideal maternity home to stay for the days leading up to her giving birth. Soon, Leela reported that both mother and child had died due to complications during the pregnancy. Leela and William were to stand trial for two counts of manslaughter for the deaths of Eva and her child. The nurse who had been working at the home took this stand against Leela and William. The nurse reported squalid conditions, unsanitary tools, and the usage of tools that only a doctor should be using, and those tools weren't sanitized. In the coroner report, they found that the child had died due to blunt force trauma, resulting from Leela's usage of birthing tools that she wasn't licensed to use. It isn't clear if the mother died due to hemorrhaging or infection, but it was mentioned in the trial that the tools used weren't sterile. The trial lasted three days, during which Leela talked about the generosity and hard work that they did at the home. Clearly, the public and jury shared this sentiment because the two were found not guilty on all charges. The public's lack of care about what happened to these two people was a reflection of how people viewed unwed mothers. But the newly elected public health minister, Frank Lloyd Davis, used this trial to request that the RCMP investigate every death reported at the ideal maternity home going forward because he suspected that something bad was happening behind those walls. This was good in theory, but the issue was a lot that happened just didn't go reported. Between 1928 and 1936, the ideal maternity home had garnered a very positive reputation and an almost cult-like following. Between members of the community commending the couple for their work, and people refusing to speak out due to the fear that someone in their family may be exposed for using the home services, Leela and William Young were almost untouchable. By 1939, the ideal maternity home had around 54 rooms, multiple nurseries, and 14 bathrooms. Also in 1939, the Youngs built themselves their own home, with three stories and nine bedrooms. The home was large and extravagant, and the Youngs had enough money to pay the $40,000 required to build it up front. In 1940, the ideal maternity home encountered another issue when the health minister issued an amendment to the Maternity Boarding House Act, which required each maternity home to apply for a license from the health ministry. When the ideal maternity home applied for this license, they were denied. 
Since they now had no license, the health minister started his work to officially shut down the maternity home for good. Around this time, reports had started to come out about illegal sales of children coming from the home. And once this got out to the health ministry, they truly began working their hardest to shut down the home. The health minister needed more information to close the home, so he began investigating the home and listening to the rumors surrounding it. And one of those rumors was that the Youngs were selling children they had to people in the United States, something that would prove to be true. At this time in America, it was illegal to adopt children who weren't born into your religion. This meant that certain groups of people had more difficulty finding children to adopt than others. One such group were the Jewish communities in New York and New Jersey. There were very few children available for them to adopt, leaving many families desperate to find a solution. The Youngs capitalized on this issue. They began adopting the children born in the ideal maternity home to American families for what they would officially say were very generous donations. These so-called donations ranged from $1,000 to $10,000 and brought in the majority of the maternity home's income. The sales of babies was bad, but in many cases it was worse. Violet Eisenhower was a married woman who went to the ideal maternity home to have her child. When Violet had her child, everything went well. The child was healthy, Violet was healthy, and both were ready to leave. The night before she was picked up, Leela came into Violet's room and informed her that her baby had fallen ill. Leela came into her room holding a baby, but Violet never actually got to see the baby. She doesn't even know if it was her baby. The next morning, as Violet was getting ready to leave, Leela came up to her and informed her that her baby had died overnight. A heartbroken Violet requested to see her baby, but Leela didn't allow her to do so. At the funeral, the baby was closed in a box that had been screwed shut. Violet kept repeating that she wanted to see her baby. But Leela insisted that the baby had turned black and no mother should have to see their dead child like that. This event was tragic, but what really happened to Violet's baby is uncertain. The night that Leela had come to tell Violet her girl had fallen ill, Violet overheard prospective adoptive parents saying that they wanted to take home a girl. At this time, the only girl in the maternity home was Violet's baby. It was after this had happened that Leela informed Violet that her child had taken ill. While no one really believed Violet at the time, the common thought now is that Violet's child was alive and her baby was actually sold to a couple. This story is tragic, but it only serves as one example of the corruption that the Youngs exhibited when adopting out their children. The Youngs are believed to have taken babies from mothers mixed and matched, or even made twins, and whatever else needed to be done to meet the needs of people offering them money for children. These issues led the health minister to travel to Chicago, another city which was a popular location for the ideal maternity home babies to be rehomed. While there, he spoke with multiple families who had adopted from the home. The American authorities contacted the health minister whilst he was in Chicago, stating that they wanted to work with him to stop the illegal sales of babies from Nova Scotia to the United States. A Chicago newspaper got word of what was going on and printed a story about the illegal sales of babies coming in from Canada. 
When Leela caught wind of the newspaper article, her and William began to think about what they could do to stop any further scandal. Leela decided that she would start making mothers take their children over to the United States so that they could adopt out their children there. This plan seems to have worked for a bit of time. The next step was for the ministry to go into the Young's home and figure out if the reports of terrible conditions were true, and they were definitely real. When someone went in and reported what was going on, they reported flies flying around all these children, children who looked sickly, emaciated, unwell, and just completely unclean. Babies were left unattended, and the only people actually watching them were untrained mothers who had no medical background. When the ministry had sent people to go investigate the home, Leela came back at them with a libel suit. Unfortunately for Leela, this suit didn't go as planned, and she was actually denied in the courts. But Leela coming in with this charge was a big deal, and it got out to the public, and this is when people really started to look badly upon the Ideal Maternity Home. In 1945, the Ideal Maternity Home was ordered to shut down for good, but the sales of babies and birthing continued on until 1947. Eventually, amidst massive amounts of lawsuits, debt, and scandal, the Ideal Maternity Home shut its doors in 1947. Leela and William were left penniless and debt-ridden. The two moved to Quebec to leave their lives behind. The scandal of the sales of babies was a big deal in Nova Scotia, but talk of the events died off rather quickly. After all, in the end, the babies still ended up in loving homes. Well... That would all change when even more information on the inner operations of the Ideal Maternity Home got out to the public. During its time of operation, between 1,000 and 1,500 babies were born in the Ideal Maternity Home. Of those, only 500 were sold to adoptive parents. So a huge question was what happened to the rest? Leela and William were very particular about the children they sold. They viewed only a narrow set of babies as marketable, and those were the ones that they funneled their time into. The other babies in the home, the ones that didn't have blue eyes, fair skin, and perfect health, were deemed undesirable and wouldn't be adopted out. These children saw a much more tragic fate. The unwanted babies were fed only molasses and water until they starved to death, which happened within two weeks. The babies facing this fate were left neglected to waste away. This long, dragged-out death was completely torturous and cruel. Once the babies had died due to starvation, the youngs would contact their handyman, Glenn Shatford, to come collect the deceased infants and would pay him 50 cents for the disposal. Meanwhile, the youngs would charge $20 for funeral fees to birth mothers. Between 100 and 125 dead babies would be placed in metered pine boxes known as butter boxes and be buried in unmarked graves near the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Fox Hill. Many other babies were cremated, thrown into the ocean, or disposed in some other crude manner. The number of babies that have died by the hands of Leela and William Young is unclear. But even at its lowest estimates of between 100 and 125, this would make them the most prolific serial killers in Canada. 
The documents which remained in the ideal maternity home were destroyed in a fire on September 23, 1963. This means that many people who have ties to the maternity home can't be located without the individual drawing links on their own. The meeting of ideal maternity home survivors was organized to bring together people who got through something that so many others did not. So many people were still searching for their origins, their potential siblings, and even some women are searching for their babies that had been taken from them. Even though I lived most of my life in Nova Scotia, I had never heard of the ideal maternity home, a true house of horrors that shows just how depraved the actions of someone who outwardly appears so benevolent can be. Between 1937 and 1947, the Youngs grossed about $3.5 million in illegal baby sales. I ran this value through a calculator to translate it to current value, and all of the sites that I went to evaluated it at about $900 million in today's currency. So this was really no small-time business. Following the closure of the ideal maternity home, Leela and William moved to Quebec. And then in the 60s, William passed away due to cancer. Following the death of William, Leela moved back to Nova Scotia to become a teacher, and she stayed in Nova Scotia for the remainder of her life. Leela passed away at the age of 70. Neither Leela nor William served any time for the crimes they committed. While they did end up broke and with very little, there was actually very little legal repercussions for what they did. So not only are they Canada's worst serial killers, they also got away with murder. For more information on the survivors of the Ideal Maternity Home, check out the Ideal Maternity Home Survivors website. There's also a book called The Butterbox Babies that talks about people's stories in depth, so if you get the chance, it would be worth checking out. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Shades of Crime. Our theme music is by Shalee Musso. You can listen to this episode and all other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can find Shades of Crime on Instagram at Shades of Crime Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at shadesofcrime at gmail.com. For more information on this case and other cases covered, as well as information on the podcast, check out our blog at shadesofcrime.ca. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.